electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Friday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Morgan Brennan, Mike Santoli at the New York Stock Exchange. Kramer and David Faber have the morning off. Coming off seven straight up days and the 55th record high of the year. Pre-market is trying to navigate some of the landmines from last night. Intel, Snapchat, even as we get some good vaccine data out of Pfizer, fixed near 15. Our roadmap begins with Intel, though. Shares are getting hurt ahead of the open. The chipmaker reports weaker than expected sales, blames an industry-wide component shortage for its shrinking PC chip business. Plus, Snap gets Apple smacked, shares tumbling, the company blaming Apple's iPhone privacy changes, which it says disrupted its advertising business. And Pfizer releasing new data saying its COVID vaccine more than, is more than 90% effective in kids. We're going to start with Intel, uh, which we've uh, sort of decided is maybe a bigger story than Snapchat and the social names. Uh, really, it comes down to... Uh, Data center up 10 was a miss, uh, Mike. And then cloud service provider down 20 is the one that's really getting attention. Yes. Uh, in terms of the past quarter, that's absolutely true. Also, the guidance on just exactly how much capital spending this company is going to have to ramp up uh, to, to make these transitions, to, to, to kind of get through some of the supply stuff. Um, it seems like it's giving the street a little bit of hesitation in terms of when are we going to see our week way clear to uh, margins that they're, we're used to from Intel and, uh, and really, it's kind of eating up all the free cash flow that was expected in coming year. So it's already a really cheap stock. It's known that for a while. We weren't really expecting 2022 uh, bottom line growth already. And now it's like, wow, the cost of the, the table stakes are higher for, for, for Intel. Now, I think you could back off and say Street already is a little skeptical of the stock. Um, they've been doing this for 50 years, this company, managing transitions and and all the rest, but it just seems as if uh, the price tag seems too high relative to other opportunities in the area. It's less than half the size market cap-wise of NVIDIA right now. Yeah, and this is, a, this is a name that has been underperforming for a couple of years. To your point about spending, I mean, capital expenditures are saying could reach 25 to $28 billion in 2022, much higher than analysts were expecting, and that's despite the fact that revenue at $74 billion is coming in a little higher than uh, estimates as well. Margins are supposed to be a bit weaker than, than expected. And, of course, AMD and NVIDIA for the last several years have been taking market share from Intel. Last I checked, those names were actually higher pre-market as well. But it speaks to the dynamics here of a reimagining of this company and all the investment that's going to take under Patrick Gelsinger to make that happen. Yeah. Speaking of Gelsinger, I mean, we've had this conversation about the CEO of Intel in aggregate for a couple of years now, whether it should be a finance person or a... Uh, technology person, yeah. when he came in the street to a large degree, Mike said, finally, we yes. got an engineer uh, running this firm. And, yes. and still the pressure's there. I think that's a, I think it's still a fair assessment, but, you know, they, they, they do prioritize their dividend and dividend growth. And so there is a certain shareholder constituency they're playing toward. And if this is an engineer's conclusion as to what's needed 
in terms of spending longer term to get stuff done, then maybe it's the right call. It just is, uh, you know, at a high cost to uh, to shareholders for the for the short term. But, you know, I mean, I assume earnings estimates are going to come down, but it's already, like I said, it, it, it's it's acting like a value trap, but it already is is pretty vol- rock bottom valuation-wise. Yeah, I mean, this is a company that's basically suffered a one-two punch. I mean, you've got the China smackdown, which is affecting the cloud side of the business. Obviously, everything that's going on with the semiconductor shortage, chip shortage, not necessarily their chips, but other chips for the PCs, which is hurting demand for their own product. But Gelsinger did say... And this had been an issue that plagued Intel for, what, a couple of years before now, that the shortages facing its own internal manufacturing operations has largely been resolved. So that could, you could call that a silver lining in the midst of all of this. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. He did talk to Axios earlier in the week and was asked about Apple's attempts to go vertical within chips. And he said the solution for Intel would be making better chips. Right. Uh, but that's a move that you make when you're playing offense. And right now it does feel like there's more defense. Yes. And he, he you know, sounded a note that really pushed out the time when he believes the industry is going to uh, actually have supply meeting demand. You know, so I think that was also just in general a little bit of a, of a splash of cold water on people's expectations that by the middle of next year, things are going to be more in balance. Uh, Morgan mentioned supply chain. It was a big topic of conversation last night at the CNN town hall uh, with the president, who actually dropped quite a bit of news about uh, the status of negotiations regarding the spending plan, but also where we stand on managing these supply chain crunches. Here's what he said. Would you consider the National Guard for trucking? For because there's a lot of yes. problems with not enough yes. truck drivers right but here's, now. And th- that's why what we're doing now. Do you have a timetable for that? Well, I have a timetable to, first of all, I want to get the ports up and running and get the railroads and the railheads and the trucks in port ready to move because I've gotten Walmart and others to say we're going to move stuff off of the port into our warehouses. Which so are you, but are you actually talking about having National Guardsmen or women driving is, trucks? The answer is yes, if we can't move to increase the number of truckers, which we're in a process of doing countries really getting educated as to how distribution works in this country. Uh, things come into port. Truckers are paid in weird ways regarding when yeah. they're on the clock. That's right. Um, and now the journal this morning with a story about warehouse space and how that is limited to adding to some of the woes. I, I mean, I don't think there's a day that goes by that we're not talking about supply chain impact and the fact that it's rippling it out and affecting so many different industries. I mean, it even came up on SNAP's call and earnings results yesterday, too, and the impact there on advertising. Um, But to your point, warehouse space is limited. You have issues with empty containers finding their way back to China, so more goods can be shipped here, which is part of the reason you have this holiday-expected inventory crunch as well. You've got issues around chassis and getting the chassis in and out of these warehouses and in and out of the ports to be able to move more containers, too. I mean, we talked about this with Lance Fritz from Union Pacific yesterday on the heels of that railroad's earnings. They, of course, touch a lot of the cargo that's coming out of the West Coast ports. And you can argue, based on some of the results we've gotten from that company and others this week in the commentary that you're starting to see some of that easing a little bit where rail is concerned, but the trucking piece of the puzzle continues to be the one that is uh, perhaps the most strained right now. Yeah. Some encouraging comments out of Mattel, which maybe we'll talk about a little bit later uh, in the hour, but a little bit more on Intel this morning. Let's bring in Webbush Securities' Matt Bryson. He does have an underperform on the stock, just lowered his price target by five down to 45. Uh, Matt, thanks for the time. Happy Friday to you. Happy Friday. Is the is the shortage element? Uh, I mean, it's a legitimate reason, but is it an excuse to cover for just less competitive chips? I I, I certainly believe 
it, it is a, a legitimate factor that is affecting everyone. Uh, having said that, n- no, I, you look at Seagate today just came out with as expected results. They're supplying the same data center as Intel is. Um, they didn't cite chip shortages for problems either in Q3 or Q4. So you think the, the, the rationale is, is specific to Intel? I, I think that Intel has some specific problems, right? They're, they're struggling with share, losing share to AMD, uh, seeing Apple shift over to internally made processors. Uh, you just got an announcement from Alibaba that they're looking at internally made processors. So I, I think Intel is dealing with a lot of company-specific problems. Um, the chip shortages don't make things any easier for them. So is the way to think about this, Matt, that Intel manufactures many of its own chips and having that more vertical, I guess, supply chain is adding to the hiccups versus some of its competitors that are outsourcing? And how does that picture continue to evolve, if so, when it is looking to expand its foundries and do more work for other chip makers as well, potentially? So I I think the way to think about it is it's not so much that Intel's affected or its direct competitors who are are being affected that much other than AMD was running into some problems, uh, securing enough substrate, securing enough wave capacity at TSM. Rather, I I think the way to think about it is the PC manufacturers, HP Dell, server manufacturers, so Dell, Lenovo, what have you, that all of them are struggling to get the ancillary chips that they need to build products. Um, So if they can't build the server, then because they don't have, uh, say, a power management IC, then they don't need an Intel chip. They also don't need an AMD chip. Um, but I, I think with Intel, those issues are compounding um, the, the, the share loss that they're, they're seeing. And so the impact has a larger effect on them than it does on some of their peers. Matt, the guidance on capital spending that people are focusing on, and it's going to be uh, essentially deferring this moment when they're going to be able to harvest more free cash flow. Uh, is there a concern just about the volume of what it's going to take uh, in terms of investment spending Then they're in this kind of heavy investment phase? Or are we concerned about what the ultimate return on that investment is going to be? In other words, can they execute this uh, sort of transition in this capacity expansion in a way that's on the other end of it going to bring back the era of, you know, the more familiar high margins? Yeah, so I, I think both of those are, are factors are concerns. So I, I think in guiding for CapEx to come up, in guiding for gross margins to come down, that had been the, the primary reason for my, my underperform rating on Intel. Well, simply, I, I saw this big period of investment, um, which, is, which is the journey to them restoring competitiveness. But while they're going through that, um, they're also dealing with share loss, uh, struggling to, to, to hold revenues higher. Um, and so there was going to be an impact on free cash flow and earnings. And, and I think them guiding toward that gets that risk out of the way. Um, to, the, to the second factor, uh, what happens going forward, I, I think the, the concern migrates um, towards that issue where uh, Pat Gelsinger put out a, a, a pretty um, a, ambitious outlook for 10 to 12% growth uh, following 2022. Um, you need to hit that growth in, in order to offset the increased depreciation costs. And we just don't get a whole lot of visibility into whether Intel's plan is really going to work in, until you're a year, two years, three years out from now. Um, and and so, so that's the concern is that there's no visibility into the recovery yet. You only have visibility into the increased yeah. spend. Yeah. I mean, so, so no hurry to buy the stock is basically what you're saying. You have an underperform rating on Intel 
Where should investors put their money to work in the sector then? Um, so we still like AMD. Um, I, I still have uh, outperform ratings on Taiwan Semi and uh, UMC. So you were talking about supply chain shortages earlier. Uh, those companies are beneficiaries of the supply chain shortages, right? You can't get enough chips. Boundaries are, are where chips are made. Uh, they're benefiting from pricing power tied to uh, just a, a shortage of manufacturing capacity. Um, and and I, I think that continues to remain a factor through mid-22, um, if not uh, into 23. Yeah, that, that's turning into the, the million-dollar question is, is how long this, uh, this lasts. Matt, appreciate it very much. And, of course, as we mentioned earlier, uh, Gelsinger will join us this morning on Tech Check at 11.15 a.m. Eastern Time. Matt, thanks. Thank you so much. Well, Pfizer and BioNTech announcing new data which show their COVID vaccine is almost 91% effective in preventing symptomatic infections in 5 to 11-year-olds. This comes ahead of a key FDA advisory meeting that is scheduled for Tuesday. You can see shares of both of those companies are higher pre-market. And, of course, this comes on the heels, Carl, of the president saying just earlier this week, the administration saying earlier this week, they're already moving to roll out the infrastructure to be able to administer these shots to kids to these young kids um, since the process will be a little bit different than what we've seen with adults. Yep. Uh, White House clearly gearing up to distribute it as soon as uh, it does get clearance for, for younger kids. Would definitely help on the labor front. Uh, you got a lot of families out there who were may perhaps nervous about bringing uh, yeah. COVID home. Uh, by the way, Census Household Pulse survey today did show a drop in the number of people not working, which is all leading to maybe, maybe an encouraging picture for the October jobs print. Yeah. You see the... Um you know, biotech uh, stock always reacts, you know, in a pretty sensitive way to any of these headlines. You do wonder what the implied uh, estimates are for the uptake of, you know, childhood child vaccines in terms of percentage of households that are going to do it. I think there's probably a wide range of estimates, but there's no doubt it's got to ease up the, uh, you know, the, the labor participation situation. Yeah. And of course, all of this comes as the government has greenlit all these different booster shots as well and the idea of mix and match, too. So, Potentially, the demand continues for these products as we continue to make our way through this latest strain of the pandemic. Yeah. Well, by the way, later we'll mention this initiation of a cell on Moderna out of Deutsche with some pretty interesting rationale for why you would not want to own that name. When we come back, a rough morning for Snap. As we said, shares are tumbling courtesy of that Apple effect. We'll get details as we take a look at futures here on a Friday as we continue to wade through about a quarter of the way done with earnings season. We're back in a moment. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Sheyi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. 
You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Snap shares tumbling in the pre-market. You see down about 22%. The parent of Snapchat warning of slowing growth due to the recent changes in Apple's iOS ad tracking. Here's what Snap CEO Evan Spiegel said on his company's earnings call about the impact. While we anticipated some degree of business disruption, the new Apple-provided measurement solution did not scale as we had expected, making it more difficult for our advertising partners to measure and manage their ad campaigns for iOS. And, and this instantly, the, this, uh, this news instantly hit the entire kind of ad-related ecosystem yeah. stock. So it was clearly taken as, you know, it's a shadow over the, comp- over the industry for a while. Facebook has had some struggles with it. And last quarter, it wasn't really that it was that bad. They, Snap did miss on average revenue per user, which might have been a little bit of a signal that this was at work. But also, uh, Morgan, as you alluded to earlier, this idea that there just was a little bit less push behind advertising demand in general, which they attribute to supply chain issues, meaning companies that don't have uh, goods to, to, to you know, offer customers because they, their supplies are tight, they're not advertising as much. Autos obviously are a massive ad category. I'm not sure if it's big for Snap in particular, but that was a kind of an interesting macro piece of it. And when you have a stock that is valued above 30 times sales, like Snap is, that's the, the, the negative you know, whiplash that you get when you miss like this. And oh, by the way, as yields have been creeping higher as well, which is only going to continue to add pressure to some of these growth names like a snap. To your point, I mean, we were just showing the boards. It's Facebook that's trading lower on this news. It's Alphabet. It's Twitter. It's Trade Desk is another one that's lower. We're going to be getting earnings from a lot of these names next week. And now you have the analyst community on the heels of those results yesterday starting to mobilize and say, hey, wait a second. Maybe folks haven't been anticipating just how negative this Apple privacy change was going to be to these companies. Yeah, I, I don't know. Remember, last week with Facebook, uh, we were all talking about the whistleblower. We were all talking about the journal series. The street was saying, hey, iOS changes are going to be the real factor. Right. Mm. And Snap's an early indication of that, which, I don't know, might make you more cautious getting into the in front of the Facebook print. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Um, you know, the other thing to keep in mind, I mean, it's not just evaluation on Snap, but... Uh, the run that it's had, so it was at 60 in late July, uh, where, you know, or in the high 50s in late July. You're, you're sweeping away, let's say, three months' worth of, uh, worth of gains. Not insignificant, but it just does show you that there was a little bit of push behind uh, the stocks in general. Um, also coming, of course, on the week when we have this PayPal maybe uh, going to look to acquire uh, Pinterest uh, simply because these people are ready to buy something and you have the engagement with all these hundreds of millions of users seems like it has value to somebody. Even despite the head scratching yesterday, but people were, the street was talking about, does Twitter Square make sense? And all these walled garden effects uh, between e-commerce and social. By the way, uh, despite Snap's troubles this morning, reiterate by Goldman, reiterate by Piper, and reiterate by MKM, the thinking is that they're going to find ways to reassure advertisers of workarounds uh, to the Apple dynamic. Right. And, And, you know, obviously they're early in that process, and ultimately... Unless you really see engagement fall off, you know, you you, you probably find a way. Because it's not as if advertisers are just going to give up and say, oh, I guess we don't want to reach those people anymore. So they'll they'll try. And for online advertising, of course, there's only so many places you can go 
anyway. So maybe it affects the ad dollars right now and the demand, and there's a slight correction right now. Yeah. But at the end of the day, if you want to target certain audiences, you're still going to have to go to these sites. Yeah. I continue to say it is remarkable as a $120 billion market cap. You know, <laughs> and how much it's still. lost in market yeah. cap with this move. It's, it's, it's kind of wild. Uh, take a look at the futures here. A little bit muted, obviously coming after a nice run here. We'll talk to Mike about some of the market dynamics at large and what it's been like getting back to this, uh, this new record high. Also keeping an eye on yields and break-evens, 10-year 167. More Squawk on the Street when we return. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Take a look at some of the week-to-date laggards. IBM, which almost unanimously has been seen as having the worst uh, corporate earnings print of the quarter so far. You got PayPal in there as well. Some Baker Hughes, Ulta, Intel, all of them really surrounding either earnings or guidance events over the past few days. We'll get the opening bell in about six and a half minutes. Welcome back to Squawk on the Street. Well, another blue chip that reported earnings this morning is Honeywell. Those shares are down fractionally right now in the pre-market. Uh, company beat on earnings, but it missed slightly on revenue. It also uh, upped the lower end of its EPS guidance for the full year, but trimmed its full its sales guidance for the full year as well, in part due to declining PPE sales. Uh, as we do start to see this recovery continue to take shape across the globe, um, companies, business segments, all of them, Saw sales rise from a year ago period. Uh, that is certainly worth noting. Warehouse and technology and some of those workplace solutions uh, in particular are a, a real bright spot for the company. Also just want to point out what's going on in the aero business, the aerospace business, uh, because we're actually seeing uh, a ding there from defense. There's some weakness in defense, but aftermarket for commercial aero and aviation was uh, was very strong as well, and you could call that a read-through. Potentially, that's what the street is saying, uh, to some of the results that we'll get next week from GE, uh, Raytheon Technologies, also Boeing, of course. But guys, really supply chain and inflation are what are in focus for this multinational conglomerate, which of course we've heard from so many other companies so far in this earnings season. I actually spoke with Darius Adamchik, the CEO and chairman of Honeywell, last week while they were in a quiet period ahead of earnings this morning. And here's what he had to say about that then. We have much greater visibility to be able to be much more precise about how to deal with some of these supply chain challenges. You know, that doesn't mean you're going to completely avoid them, but it does mean that you can be a bit more pinpoint and precise in actions that we take because we have great visibility to data and information and what's happening to our business and where and where we're saying inflationary pressures, where the, we're getting some challenges in terms of delivery and so on. And of course, that is in reference to all of the software and technology investments that this company has been making under a damn check for the last several years. Uh, and the fact that that adds uh, a lot of data and a lot of insight, not only to the company's own supply chains and, and businesses put to the customers and the end markets that it supplies as well. Given all the, the lost sales that they talk about on the call, um, 
they only tweak the guidance and they actually uh, bring up the low end of the EPS guidance, yep. which is it another example, yeah. Mike, of companies handling these uh, these curveballs? I was going to say the keep it simple version of how to think about supply chain at this point is that these companies are kind of, they, they've been in it for months. They're kind of on top of it. Um, that's what they become good at is, tr- is trying to manage these logistical chains. So it's almost a benefit to the, the mega caps, whether that's Walmart or, you know, the industrial conglomerates like Honeywell. So I think that makes sense. Also, you know, the defense stocks, defense related, have perked up a little bit. They had underperformed yes. for a while. China, Taiwan, this idea that really it's not being Higher targeted for budget cuts. Yeah, for next year. Exactly. Yes. Uh, and those names, of course, will be in focus next week as well as you get sort of the big heavyweights, Lockheed Martin, Raytheon, General Dynamics, Northrop Grumman, and the like reporting too. So we'll see what comes out of those numbers. But the commercial aerospace piece of the puzzle, I think, is one that investors are most keen on right now. Yeah. Uh, let's get to the opening bell of the CNBC Real-Time Exchange. At the big board, it's digital healthcare company Babylon celebrating a listing via SPAC. At the NASDAQ, Baby to Baby, a nonprofit providing diapers and basic necessities to children in need. Speaking of the recovery in aviation, uh, Amex with uh, a beat and... Um, Record card spend once again. I think it's going to be an all-time high on AXP yeah. as they see um, restaurant spend is now the largest part of uh, travel and entertainment category. They do talk about a recovery uh, in travel in Q4. Kind of rhymes with what United said about January return. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the consumer finance stocks have been great in general. Look like a Capital One, something like that. But American Express is now kind of participating in that just because it seems there is a little better visibility of the company back of, you know, whether it's overall business spend or just this pivot toward services, uh, which is, among other things, you know, kind of a, a little bit of an insulation against the, the, the buy now, pay later, you know, wave that's washing over things, despite the fact that you will get an offer from your credit card company to spread out the payment of some kind of services. Uh, still, I do think it's uh, it's pretty good look for uh, American Express, pretty much on par with like a Discover as well. So there's both the, hey, the consumer's in great shape, spending, loss rates are minimal. Uh, and there's more to come, but also, um, you know, you have the kicker if you ever do get that comeback of, of travel. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the buy now, pay later, because obviously we've been talking about that a lot, and you have seen sort of this inverse correlation in the trading between those stocks whenever there's a positive headline for the like of a, likes of a firm and those more traditional credit card companies. But MasterCard, for example, has been making investments in buy now, pay later as well, and so the lines do continue yeah. to blur. It's also not clear that all of those solutions are going to evade the basic networks, the processing networks that MasterCard and Visa run, and, you know, in theory that they're trying to get ahead of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think overall it does speak to the thing that has been emerging out of this earnings season so far, which is that you have a strong consumer. And so maybe you have these supply chain issues, maybe you have these inflationary risks, and companies are dealing with that in their own ways, whether they're eating the costs or pushing them out to their end users, but that consumers, at least for now, seem to continue to be flush with cash and excited to go out and spend wherever that may be. In this particular case, restaurants. Yeah, right. Uh, It sort of brings us to Mattel. Uh, Quote, we successfully navigated ongoing global supply chain disruption, achieved sales growth, uh, and continued to gain share. We expect to have a strong holiday season. We had the shares up 8% pre-market, now up about 5%. But again, I mean, it's really turning into a report card of, in the case of uh, either industrials like with Honeywell or some of these uh, toy companies, they're used to crunch time, right? They're used to a fourth quarter crunch. Uh, so maybe that's paying off. Right. And, you know, it, it, by now, it, it, you know, it's, it's, 
if there was a problem at this stage, then there's a real problem. If they say there's not a problem at this stage, then they're probably okay, you know, through holiday. I think that's probably the, the takeaway from the from the numbers. Yeah, it's also worth noting that when you're talking about some of these goods that are very deliberately being brought into this country uh, from their manufacturing sites overseas, that they are shipped on those containers during the summer. Typically, that starts in August, the peak shipping container season. So there is some sort of leeway or, or uh, runtime in terms of these containers being able to get off and onto, off those ships and onto store shelves um, for whatever that's worth. But also, I think, it, I think it's pretty significant that for Mattel specifically, Barbie continues to rebound, right? I mean, it, for years, Barbie was the drag on this stock. It was the thing that investors and analysts in this name continue to look at and say, they got to find a way to remake this. They tried a few times. There was fits and starts. But now, like, you go to Netflix and, like, the kids section of the platform, it's like Barbie <laughs> cartoons galore. You sound just, like you're speaking from experience. I'm speaking yeah. from experience. <laughs> and there's a dream house in my basement. Um, yeah, it's been fascinating, the turnaround, both in, in Mattel uh, and in Hasbro. By the way, uh, Kramer did talk to the Mattel CEO last night. Take a listen. We're seeing consumer demand continuing to grow. We're seeing uh, a lot of momentum in the fourth quarter, and we're off to a great start. And we expect to continue growing for the balance of the year, gain market share, and have a strong holiday season. So maybe a little bit of an encouraging data point as we continue to worry. Yeah. I think we are worried about making sure that the, the holiday season goes off yeah. Oh, yeah. with as few hitches as possible. holiday shopping. Yeah. And I guess to my point is Mattel, you know, finally has started to make more significant investments on the media front. And we've seen how that's paid off for a name like Hasbro over the years as well. Um, I did want to look at Zoom really quick. Uh, J.P. Morgan today, ups to overweight. They say, look, stock's down uh, 33% since our last downgrade. I think the title of the, the subhead is Enough is Enough. Uh, they do argue that uh, the modern corporate worker has been trained to Zoom before reaching for the office desk phone, as they say, uh, as the primary mode of communication. So that maybe there is further enterprise growth. Yes. So even if you're at the desk at the office, it seems like there's a little bit of a, of a muscle memory they're going to go back on. You know, I think it's an interesting tactical uh, call. Stock overall is down like 45 percent from its high. It still is an $85 billion market cap. I think it's worth remembering that, you know, it just got, uh, you know, close, well over 200 for, I mean, over 100 for a while. So um, definitely interesting. I, I don't think the debate has ever been, are people going to stop? working from home or flex working or Zooming as opposed to calling. It's just, you know, how much and what subgrowth look like and who's left in terms of small, medium-sized businesses to, you know, add new paid subs versus who's already got it installed. Yeah. It's a, and, you know, you're going to see business travel and commercial business travel begin to come back and certainly companies and folks, and I go back to the Honeywell discussion that I had a week ago, you know, are, are pretty upbeat that you are going to continue to see that recovery take root as we turn into 2022 as well. But perhaps the bar is higher, right? And so when you're not going to be getting on a plane to go have a face-to-face -face meeting, especially where something like marketing or sales or some sort of deal being struck is concerned to actually be able to see somebody face-to-face -face on a Zoom call, while not the same as in person, is probably a lot more compelling than phone. Also, how many different companies' workforces have been hired through the pandemic yeah. and have never actually met their coworkers because they have been working from home, and at least Zoom gives you that face-to-face -face recognition? Yeah.
Uh, I was going to just make a note in terms of the broad market. I mean, it sort of seems due for a pause, right, up seven days in a row. Not only up seven days in a row, but it has paid to buy the open seven days in a row. So it's not just been gap and go to sleep uh, for these days. So it shows you there's been a little bit of a slow motion chase to get back in. As we've ha- come to this conclusion, you could look back uh, at the last few weeks and say, ah, we got the seasonal shakeout we were positioned for. Pretty good low in early October. We'll see if we have to back off from here. It would make sense to at this point, but we go green again. Um, Obviously, the Nasdaq under a little bit of pressure. What's fascinating is what's moving in really high-velocity ways outside of equities, and it's not really upending the stock market story, which is yields, uh, especially shorter-term yields. Market really rushing to price in at least two rate hikes into next year for the U.S. Not to say they're definitely going to happen, but the market's kind of hustling to that point, feeling like inflation's here to stay. We got a one-day pause in the oil rally yesterday. It is also bounced. So I think it is, uh, it, it is interesting, and it's changing the conversation around what we're looking for for the Fed November 3rd, uh, whether they're going to be super aggressive about the pace of a, of a tapering process and, and whether the market has it right, right? I mean, five-year market-implied inflation levels bumping up against 3%, um, which is a high for, like, since back to 2012. In 2012, market didn't know what was going to happen over the next five years because you undershot inflation for the next five years. So you can't take that as some kind of prophecy. You could take it as people putting money behind the idea or the fear that inflation is going to be sticky on the high end. Yeah. Uh, all that said, I mean, B of A yesterday, we are looking for what reasons why oil has come too far. Yeah. A lot of, uh, a lot of looks at the Brent forward curve, suggesting that uh, it's in backwardation. Absolutely. VIX, I know you've been watching below 15. Uh, you have made the point it's going to be difficult to get it much lower yes. because traders are conditioned to stay a little cautious. Yeah. It's, I mean, 15-ish has been the low. Um, you did dip below 15 briefly in, in July and late June. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, I think it'll take, you know, further calm grinding uptrend days in the S&P to get it much low. But the overall setup for volatility traders, for the way that people are kind of hedging it, is still benign for the market. So it doesn't have to, VIX doesn't have to crash for the market to keep doing well, but it has been sticky around this floor, around 15. We'll see if uh, if that matters, uh, you know, looking ahead. Yeah, I mean, just to go back to Brent for a minute, we're, we're poised to see our first down week uh, for Brent in seven. And while we continue to see energy prices that are elevated, certainly natural gas has been getting so much attention in recent weeks. We've seen that come off a little bit and take a breather this week, too. And that, in turn, I think, is rippling through to some of the other uh, energy complex contracts as well, large part because not only is the fall expected to be warmer weather than usual, but now potentially the winter, too. So we see what happens there. Plus, you have China continuing to crack down on commodity spikes, things like coal as well. Yeah, I think it was Goldman that said if the winter is one standard deviation colder than normal, then you could see some pretty dramatic increases in nat gas uh, and crude. We do want to pay attention to Digital World Acquisition Corp., uh, the company that is uh, helping the Trump media entity uh, uh, merge through a SPAC. Um, We had the low was 12.62 yesterday. Pre-market was 92 and currently just a shade below 87. Um, Interesting to watch the New York Times basically tell readers what a SPAC is in their their piece about it today. Um, And also some interesting color on their long-term growth prospects, naming Google and Amazon as potential rivals in the future. It's uh, it's amazing. I mean, it just sort of, it it sort of um, kind of memes and personal brands 
squared and cubed and everything else. Yesterday, I mentioned late in the day that the dollar volume traded in the stock was over $12 billion. The only stock in the Nasdaq more than that was Tesla. You know, it's double what Apple traded. Apple's a $2 trillion company. At the start today, we've already traded $3 billion in uh, DWAC. So it shows you it just caught the, caught the jet stream of this is going to be whether, you know, whether, whatever the business looks like, we think that there's going to be massive uptake on uh, just on the idea of the stock. And, uh, and you know, the SPAC, uh, the SPAC alchemy is working uh, in this sense in the short term. Yeah, it is, it is, it is very uh, meme-like in terms of the moves that we have seen. And I mentioned this yesterday, and I'll mention it again. You had, what, 74 million adult Americans who voted for Trump in the popular vote last election. You can look at that potentially as an investor and say you have a built-in audience there and start to carve out those metrics around it. It's going to be interesting. We don't have a lot of details, so it's going to be interesting to see what the infrastructure process in terms of building this is going to be. And I say that thinking about some of the other potentially, for lack of a better term, alternative social media sites uh, that are out there as well and some of the issues around, like, cloud providers and things like that. Some of the growing pains like Parler, for example, has gone through. Uh, yeah, we'll keep an eye on that. Just stunning. And by the way, AMC and GME open up way down. So they're probably yeah. feeding off some of the same energy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good point. There's only so much adrenaline to go around. That's right. Uh, Mike mentioned some of the uh, break-evens that we're watching, uh, the tips as well as we keep our eye on the fears of inflation. But the 10-year, around 167 this morning as we take a look at the bond report. Overall, though, Dow's up 132, and we do have a fresh record high on the S&P this morning. That's going to be the 56th of the year at 45.54. I'll be right back. Welcome back to Squawk on the Street. Rick Santelli here at CME HQ with live breaking news, our October preliminary read on the market PMIs. On manufacturing, 59.2, a bit of a miss sequentially, following last month's final read of 60.7. If we look at the services PMI, the bigger swath of the U.S. economy, this number is better than expected at 58.2 and much better sequentially than last month's final read at 54.9. Let's compress it into the composite. That's at 57.3, also a couple points higher than our final read at the end of last month at 55.0. At 1.67%, 10-year notes are down a few on the day, but they're up 10 basis points on the week. And Boone deals hit an intraday high yield of minus 0.07, the highest intraday trade since May of 2019. Squawk on the street, return after these messages. Got a brief record high this morning on the S&P. Let's get to Bob Pisani. Hey, Bob. Good morning, guys. Uh, Supply chain constraints, uh, labor market shortages, raw material problems. Now we've got this curveball from Snap hurting some of the tech names. This is about the the lumpiest, toughest earnings season I've seen in a very, very long time. Bottom line, though, is the market's continuing to hold up very well overall. If you take a look at some of the sectors today, yes, you've got energy and materials and banks doing well. Uh, tech and communication services weak, but not surprising given what we heard from Intel and, of course, from Snap. So take a look at some of those tech names here. Uh, Snap, of course, getting killed here, and along with some of the other names that might be affected by that Snap announcement like Facebook and Twitter. Intel's down, but interesting, it's not affecting most of the other semiconductors. They're mostly trading to the upside right now. In terms of what's going on this week, I have to say, despite these concerns with the labor, um, labor market shortages, 
The market's held up well. There is no major sectors that are in really notable downturns. Communication services are a little weak, but overall, the, the sectors hold up really well this week. Healthcare, consumer discretionary, technology still remain up on the week. Industrials also doing well. We've just got a ton of comments, though, on supply chain, on, on labor shortages. Uh, I thought one company that had amazing things to say on the supply chains was Mattel. Uh, you heard there. Uh, Carl mentioned that the the CEO saying they've successfully navigated ongoing global supply chain disruptions. But look at these comments here. I mean, they're pulling forward production. They contracted more ocean freight capacity. Uh, They secured additional ports to get more products in for Christmas. I mean, this is what you need to do to make sure the toys are in the store and they're be rewarded today. Mattel's up. uh, Not a new high for Mattel, but not far from a new high. Nice performance there. And I think the exact appropriate comments given the concerns about supply chains. Labor shortages, just a lot of comments on that. I thought the Whirlpool CEO had the best comment of the day. We have more than 20,000 employees in the U.S. I'm starting to get worried about the labor shortage starting to become structural. So, yes, demographics are a little bit of a worry down the road. That word, key word there is structural, meaning long term and a real problem. You want to keep an eye uh, on that. I think that's the most important comments for the day on the labor market situation. The problem with earnings is they're not going up. It's Q4 we care about, not Q3. So the numbers have basically stopped going up in the last few weeks. We're going to have a nice quarter. It's going to be up 22% for the fourth quarter, but that's about where it was a few weeks ago. And you have markets at new highs. You've got to push the earnings estimates up. Markets at new highs, no move in earnings. That's a little bit of a divergence that people talk about. This has been the big topic all throughout the week. Finally, just want to note another Bitcoin futures ETF starting trading. Yes. Boy, oh boy, are they screaming about these. ProShares has a billion dollars in asset that one that started just three days ago. That's quite amazing here. Valkyrie Bitcoin strategy just started a couple of moments ago. It's trading today and we'll have uh, Van X trading either Monday or Tuesday. It's not clear right now. I'll get a clarification on that. But Bitcoin's uh, Valkyries just started today. Uh, Morgan uh, trading at $25. It opened on the upside, I believe. I can't see the quote, but we can get its BTF is the symbol there. And you can see that nice little open there. Boy, what a move this week. Remember, Carl, everybody two weeks ago saying we don't want a Bitcoin futures ETF. We don't need it. We want a pure Bitcoin play ETF. It's not going to work. It's not going to track. Guess what? Everybody is saying, my, this is successful. And this proves that the public has faith in futures contracts. And that's the way people want to own Bitcoin. This is a complete around 180 percent round trip from what people were saying two weeks ago. Carl, back to you. (laughs) Uh, The market has a short memory, as some are fond of saying, Bob. Thanks, uh, Bob Pisani. We didn't get to Chipotle, which is actually down today a couple percentage points. Uh, But Bob mentions all the worries about inflation, specifically food inflation. Uh, You wouldn't know it from the actual print. Operating margin 23.5 is up 400 basis points. So they're, they're passing it through. Yeah. There's no doubt about sure it. I mean, 15.1% comps is ahead of expectations. Pretty remarkable. Now, some focus on the guidance for, for comp sales uh, for low to mid double digit percentage, which I think is, you know, kind of slightly below the consensus for close to 15%. But at this scale, growing 15%, obviously a lot of that is cost. I mean, prices being being pushed through. Everyone thinks they can, you know, double store count, whatever it is, their estimates. The story's intact. It's a pretty modest sell the news response, even though mega expensive stock forever. 
Yeah, and they've been just deploying so much in terms of technology and digital capability over the last couple of years, and you're seeing that really come to fruition in terms of those results as well, even as the company did say last night that there are uncertainties that are weighing on the business, and it's the same uncertainties we've heard from other companies like inflation, staffing pressures, COVID-19 as well. But they did open 41 new restaurants during the quarter, and only five of those didn't have a quote-unquote Chipotle lane, um, which also, I think, really speaks to the strength we've seen, thanks to the pandemic, for to fast food and drive-through and all of these options to basically be able to digitally or remotely or not get out of your car or whatever, pick up your order uh, without going inside uh, a restaurant, too. So... It's interesting. Yeah. The pricing, I think, is especially interesting. How much further could they raise prices if they needed to? The prices are pretty high. I don't know if guys have yeah. ordered from there well, lately. It's kind of and, and, eye-popping. And the market seems to say, well, this was a company that never depended on being the, the lowest price or paying the lowest wage relative to the competition. So maybe their customers and their workers are, you know, better positioned in this environment. We'll see. Yeah. It was largely a throughput story. How yeah. many how how many seconds does it take exactly. to get in and out? Yes. And to your point about technology, I mean, I've been in and out in 60 seconds, yeah. right? That's really good. Yeah, it's fast. It's fast. All right. Well, there's a twist in the supply chain story that involves M&A. And Frank Holland joins us now to explain that. Hi, Frank. Hey, good morning, Morgan. This is all about M&A. Arc Best. Let's look at this stock. Uh, almost tripling the S&P. Following the acquisition of a Midwest-based freight brokerage expanding their capacity at a time when pricing is at an all-time high. Rates for trucking and rates for container shipping by rail, both increasing by more than 90% from 2019 levels. That has many logistics companies flush with cash and looking to increase their capacity. ArcBest CEO, Judy McReynolds, she expects demand to remain elevated through 2022. I mean, when you look at our balance sheet, we do uh, have resources. Parking at capital allocation um, is what's the best return for our stakeholders. And that, you know, most certainly includes shareholders. Top logistics companies seeing cash on hand increase sharply in 2021. That includes Knight Swift and J.B. Hunt the nation's largest trucker and container shipper, respectively. Look at the end. Uh, there's also a company called, or in the middle, I should say, a company called Hub Group. They saw their cash nearly double in its last quarter. And then they acquired a refrigerated trucking company. Since then, shares nearly doubling the S&P. Analysts from Evercore ISI say that's a trend that's likely to continue. Function of... Um the supply chain disruption. It's a function of that's leading to substantial cash flow generation and looking to deploy that capital. Um, and it's looking to get deeper uh, into the supply chain and diversifying your end uh, market and in some cases, regional exposure. This week, a record 103 container ships were in the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach. And according to Evercore, even some of these container ship companies, they're eyeing acquisitions in the U.S. supply chain. So as this capacity capacity crunch continues, it uh, could be a very interesting environment. Carl, back over to you. All right, Frank, thanks so much. All right, Frank Holland. Uh, Dow's up 135. We're hanging on to 45.52 or so, not too far from that all-time high that we got a few moments ago. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. 
That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. 